3: Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson. Hello. Hey, and today we have a studio full of people and somebody on the phone, so this is going to be fun. We're going to talk um, about kind of what's been a controversial issue here in Utah, a, a tax bill that is going to change kind of the way, and at least in some ways, that we collect taxes looking in a way uh, forward, at least that's what the legislature is uh, proposing, that is going to help us uh, you know, keep our uh, revenue going for the you know, foreseeable future. And uh, sitting with us today, Paul Murphy, and Paul is an old radio friend of mine, and um, he is helping to uh, push forward a grassroots effort to get a referendum that is going to uh, give the uh, voters an opportunity to vote on this tax bill. Uh, He is joined by uh, Marcy Campbell, who is uh, one of the grassroots organizers as well, and on the phone, we have State Senator Todd Weiler, a Republican from Wits Cross, who has been a supporter of the tax bill, which uh, was... Uh, enacted into law uh, this past year, so Todd, we're going to start with you, and I'm going to ask you to kind of explain uh, the the premise behind the bill and kind of what it is and and why it was done the way it was done.
4: Sure, thank you. So, you know, most uh, Utahns don't spend a lot of time trying to digest and understand the state budget, and and I include myself among them. But being a state legislator has kind of forced me to. You know, to do that every year as we put the the budget together. And if you go all the way back to Governor Oleen Walker, that's when the discussion started that we had a structural imbalance in the state budget. And what do I mean by that? Well, long story short, we have basically three buckets of the state budget. We have the income tax that goes into the education fund. We have the sales tax that goes into the general fund. And then we have the motor fuel tax that goes into the transportation fund. So... Long story short, when you hear on the news, hey, the legislature has a billion dollar surplus this year, almost all of that is in income tax, which can only be spent on education that's pursuant to our state constitution and because of that, uh, and what we've seen um, over the last several years is the income tax fund is growing uh, much quickly much faster, much you know qu- quicker than the sales tax fund and there's a number of reasons for that but the the problem is is we can take sales tax and spend it on education money but we on education funding but we can't take income tax and spend it on anything else and so when it comes to medicaid expansion which people voted for last year when it comes to police pensions when it comes to all the other social services when it comes to roads we can't take any of the surplus and spend it on those needs. And so we've been, talking, we've been talking about this for a couple of years, and we did what most college students do when they have a final exam coming. We kicked the, 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 the can down the road as long as we could. The problem was last year, in 2019, we ran out of road and we couldn't kick that can any further else we would have and so during the general session we had house bill 441 which was going to lower sales tax uh, significantly but then spread it out to services and we heard loud and clear people didn't want that and here's the key at, at the end of the session when 441 failed governor herbert came out and said we still have a structural imbalance we are going to continue to study this we're going to have public hearings during the summer and the fall And as soon as we reach a consensus, we'll hold a special session. So that was announced last spring. And then when we held the special session after after 17 public hearings and 62 hours of public comment, when we held the special session, people are saying, oh, my gosh, you sprung this on us by surprise. And no, we, we always do. We had to do it before the end of the year. Why? Because the governor had to propose a budget in December. The legislature has to adopt a budget in February or March. And we couldn't do it without fixing and addressing the structural imbalance. And, in fact, Governor Herbert actually delayed releasing his proposed budget for a month because of the special session and because uh, of all of this. So that's the problem that we're trying to solve. And one of the solutions was to restore the the full sales tax on food like it had been up until 12 years ago. It had been like that for decades. We took it off 12 years ago as an experiment to try to help poor people. And just a couple of years ago, the Utah Foundation, which is a think tank here in Salt Lake, they said that taking the sales tax off of food had hurt public education to the tune of a billion dollars in the first decade. And what it what it did was it destabilized the state budget. And so we started meeting with uh, groups that advocate for the poor last fall, the Senate president and others did, and said, okay, if we were going to put the sales tax on food, what would you recommend we do to help the poor? They came up with the grocery tax credit. They came up with the state earned income tax credit. They came up with the prebates. They came up with everything that we've included in the bill and because we, we want to stabilize the budget, fix the structural imbalance, and not hurt the poor. And that was the intent of this bill.
2: Let me ask you a question before we jump to uh, those who've come to talk about the referendum. How does the sales tax issue impact uh, education if that money goes into the general fund?
4: So we've always, you know, we've always spent uh, general fund money on education, on higher ed, so Weber State, University of Utah, etc., and K through twelve, which everybody understands, and we will continue to do that. But let me tell you what happened when we went into recession back in two thousand eight. The income tax dropped by twenty um, percent, like almost mm-hmm. overnight. Mm-hmm. The sales tax uh, only dropped by five percent, and so we had to take a whole bunch of sales tax. And, uh, and move it over to education, which we can spend sales tax on anything. If that happened next year, the income tax dropped 20%, we wouldn't have any sales tax to move over and plug that hole. And so that's what – and, and I, I understand that the legislature has been horrible at messaging this, but that's what, one of the things we've been trying to explain is we have to do this before the next recession or else we won't be able to, 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 to hold public education harmless and try to keep that you know, at, at or near the levels where it was even before the recession. And, and so uh, what, what it, what it, it's like if you're walking around town and you've got two pockets – and your left pocket is full of money, and your right pocket's got two quarters in it, and you, you're hungry, but you can only spend the two quarters on, on the food because uh, the rest of it has to be paid for rent. And, but you have more in your left pocket than you need for rent right now, but you still can't spend on food. Nobody does that in real life, but that's what our state constitution has forced the legislature to do.
3: Okay. We have one minute. All right, before so
2: we're not going to we're not going to force you guys to to sum yeah, to sum up the referendum effort. But there is a, an effort to gather signatures to um, to repeal what basically, um, or at least put it before the voters, right? Correct, yeah. November yeah. twenty twenty. Yeah, and so we're going to talk about uh, where that effort came from, you know, how it's going, and um, what they hope to accomplish, and and why they don't like this as a solution. And I will say there is one thing that that, I, like, strikes me, like makes me uncomfortable. And that's this use of education as a giant club to beat us into submission on every issue. Because I remember when we talked about Medicaid expansion on this show with some of the legislators, um, I was told, look, if you want to hurt education, then expand Medicaid. And I always feel like no matter what the issue is, that it comes back to if you want something um, – if you want the government, if you want better roads, if you want health care for everybody, if you want any of these things, then you better be willing to sacrifice education on the altar of that. And I, I'm just throwing that out there. Jason's giving me the signal; we're <laughs> going to have a break, but I we can discuss that because I feel like education is like this. Uh, we can't touch anything because otherwise we're going to we're going to hurt your kids. I feel like that. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> okay,
3: we will come back and discuss this and, and give the, uh, our other guests a chance to uh, respond. You're listening to Voices of Reason. Of reason I am Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson, and today we're talking uh, state taxes and I, uh, we had uh, represent state Senator Todd Weiler is on the phone with us uh, in our studios, Paul Murphy and uh, Marcy Campbell. they are leading a grassroots effort to uh, get signatures for a referendum that is kind of uh, giving that hopes to give voters a chance to uh, express their voice in this this matter. Uh, we gave Todd most of the time uh, at, at the beginning, so I'm going to start with uh, Marcy Thank uh, you. to kind of explain from this from your effort and, and your and Paul's effort, what are you trying to do with the referendum?
1: Well, our effort is if, if we get near 116 verified registered voters, 116,000, yes, registered voters across the state of Utah, we will um, be able to allow the citizens of Utah to vote on the law in November 2020. And why do you want people to vote on this? We feel that the majority of the population of the state of Utah are frustrated with the law that went into effect. And they want to be able to feel like they're being heard. And it's remarkable how many
2: people are coming to us desiring to sign. And so the big news about a week ago was that Harmon's Grocery Store, they have 19 stores in the state. that They were going to get involved, let people set up a... Table and and collect signatures there. I think Associated Foods is now involved. You were instrumental in that. Why, you know, why why does that help? Sort of what 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 are you hearing from people when they come? Oh, it's a, it's been an amazing process,
1: really fantastic and amazing process that we were able to roll out within just a couple of days because of the support of Harmons Foods. So big shout out to them! Yay Harmons and Associated Foods as well.
3: These so, are all independently owned grocery stores. Uh, Utah chains, if such a thing exists, uh, Harmon's is, and Associated Foods is uh, an entire uh, association that helps independently own uh, grocery stores around the country and around uh, Intermountain West.
1: Correct. So because we had such uh, an insurmountable, seemingly insurmountable task of gathering 116,000 signatures across the state of Utah in such a short amount of time, these uh, packets, these referendum packets, are due January 21st. So it's been such it's only been a matter of weeks that we have to gather this many signatures across the state of Utah and we were organized enough that we had packets to every county we had county coordinators throughout the state gathering signatures but uh, our numbers have been able to um, exponentially increase through the use of these grocery stores allowing us to gather signatures in their stores because people do want to sign they just needed a packet put in front of them to be able to do it so we estimate. Um, that because of harmons and Associated Foods, that we will be able to accomplish the task.
3: Paul, what, uh, what do you feel like <clears throat> are the, the major reasons that this referendum is, is, is necessary in order for people to have their voice?
0: Well, I, I think the biggest thing is the impact that it has on the poor. Uh, if you look at uh, the lowest quartile of, of people and their income, 35 percent of their money goes to pay for food. 17% goes to pay for fuel. So 52% of their income is going to food and fuel and this is where the legislature decided this is where we need to go to get more money. And you know the the food tax is increased by 177%, the fuel tax is increased by 35%. This impacts Individuals and families in the in the worst way possible. I appreciate the the hard job that the legislature has. They have to figure out how to get money and move it from here to there, but this is not the solution. And and the legislature did do a listening tour to hear from people, and that and those people who participated, more than two thirds were against this type of approach to deal with. The tax problem that the legislature feels we're facing
2: were they mostly against the food restoring the food tax?
0: Mostly the food tax, but they were also against the fuel tax. And they're and you know, p- th- this is being offered as a f- uh, as a uh, income tax uh, cut. It is not a cut. They are taking money from different places to pay for this. Mm-hmm. They are robbing Peter to pay Paul. Which normally, as a Paul, I appreciate that, but they're robbing <laughs> poor Peter. <laughs> to pay me and 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 I don't like that.
2: Well, and to use Todd's analogy, maybe it looks like to me, to an outsider, you're taking the money from your left pocket and putting it in your right pocket, but you don't have any more money. The other thing is, I and Todd maybe you can answer this, that there is um, something in the law that allows local uh, municipalities to levy a tax that would help my schools in my neighborhood. So, and and that's a property tax. Is that correct? Do we lose Todd?
3: Todd Oh, I'm, uh, yeah,
4: I'm sorry, that, that's not part of the bill. That's oh, okay. been grossly um, misstated and, uh, by a lot of people. Um, there's nothing in the bill that affects property tax in any way.
2: So it didn't give municipalities the option to raise money? Well, they,
4: they have the same option, Amy, that they've had for the last 50 years. Oh, okay.
1: So, so that's just no, always the same. It. Yeah. But, it, but it was in response to the worry that there might not be education funding with the, the reduction of income tax.
0: And the fear that most people have is is that uh, the legislature is going to lower the income taxes, but the school boards are now going to have to increase taxes to make that difference. And mm-hmm. so the pain will be felt in your school board tax rather than in your... State income tax, which is so kind
3: of it has the, to happen from somewhere, got right? A shared responsibility mm-hmm. between the local school boards,
4: the state school boards, and the state legislature to fund education. That's always been there. Yeah. What, what you, if you look at the last ten years, the legislature's increased its funding by thirty percent. The school boards have done less than five percent, and that's where the, that discussion's been talking about that they're not carrying their share. When when people say we're underfunded, the legislature's been doing all of the heavy lifting.
2: Yeah, And I will say I have a couple of thoughts about using many municipalities to fund education because in one way I like it because you are there. My school board is much more responsive to me and, and I know who they are and I know where they live. Um, but I also I think, A, I think that impacts affordable housing. I think, B, it does tax people who have more income because if you own a house or you own property, you tend to not be in that that area I worry about. Um, but but does it put home ownership or owning a house out of reach even more for my kids that's so those I mean those are conflicting thoughts but I think that it's just more complicated than is this a good thing or a bad thing it's just that you're always going to be hurting somebody but we do need more money in education and we do need more money uh, we do need transportation money, and I, I don't necessarily dislike the gas tax. So I wondered if you guys had some thoughts on this, because I, I'm in favor of uses. Like, if you use something, you pay for it.
3: Yeah, but so, that goes back to what he was talking about with uh, poor people. They uh, How do you get to work? You, I'm going to tell you something. As a person who takes public transportation, <laughs> and I'm the one person in this room who does it more often yeah, than not, yeah. it's, it's terrible.
2: It is terrible. And
3: and, and I love to train, can... but I know if I'm a poor person and I don't have a car or... If, I have to worry about putting $5 worth of gas in my car so I can go to where i got to go and, and feed my kids. That becomes a burden.
2: No, I don't disagree with you, but I think we have to invest more in public edu- in, um, public, public transportation. transportation because we live in a valley. And Todd knows, because Todd and I have argued about this on Twitter, <laughs> uh, that the air quality here is so bad that during the winter months, I can't even run in this valley. I have to go to the mountains.
3: Okay. Before you uh, answer, Todd, I'm gonna, I promise I'll let you uh, come out first. <laughs> I want to keep us on time. Uh, we're going to continue with this discussion about, uh, this, is, this is the great part about uh, people-run legislatures. We, the people, get to have a referendum if we want to, and the legislation le- legislators try to do their best to do what they believe is the right thing. And somehow we just got to find out what meets and works the best way for both of us. Uh, you're listening to Voices of Reason. Voices of Reason. I am Jason Lee along with Amy Donaldson. Today with we have in studio, there's Paul Murphy and uh, Marcy Campbell who are leading a grassroots effort to uh, put together a referendum on a tax bill that our guest on the phone, uh, State Senator Todd Weiler, uh, representative from Woods Cross, is supporting and is now, it is actually, it's actually been enacted into law. Uh, it's, it is state law that is changing a few things and, and uh, well, I guess if, if you're Todd, I'm going to be. I got. I got to say this. I'm kind of not with you on this one. I um. I as not a poor person, but as a person who has a reasonable income, I do understand what it was like. If when when we didn't have money when I was growing up, and we rode transportation everywhere, uh, public transportation everywhere. If we had to have a car, and and uh, our state legislators were raising the gas tax and were raising the food tax, it would have been pretty tough. And uh, this is, I mean, again, I'm just speaking from a working class family that this does seem like it's asking people who have the least to pay what is a little bit more than their fair share when you and I can afford it better than they can. Your response, sir.
4: Well, so the gas tax has never been indexed uh, into inflation. So for a 17 year period, uh, even though gas went from one to three dollars a gallon, from like 1999 to 2016 the gas tax never changed and in that same time a new car went from ten thousand uh, dollars to on the average to twenty thousand dollars and the sales tax on a new car would have doubled from six hundred dollars or seven hundred dollars up to fourteen hundred dollars and so like if the price of milk goes up a dollar you don't call it a tax increase because the tax you know the, 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 the tax on the milk goes up with the price we've never had uh, the gas tax index to inflation and so because it hasn't been indexed to inflation occasionally you have to do something because in those 17 years where we, the gas tax didn't change at all, the, the price of construction for roads and maintenance went up 300%. And so as a result of that, the gas tax, which is supposed to pay for our roads, only pays for less than half of our roads, which means we take hundreds of millions of dollars out of the sales tax fund every year to, make up, to plug up the difference. But now the sales tax isn't keeping up with the growth of the economy, and that's the problem. That there's a lot of moving parts here.
2: So I have a question. Then can we look at the minimum wage? Because while the gas tax hasn't been indexed for inflation, nor has minimum wage, <laughs> that hasn't been adjusted for inflation. So I do think that's an issue. And when you, when you talk about all these things increasing, I, I, I know because I tried to help my daughter with a budget. Yeah. I, I don't know how kids, I don't know how they're supposed to make it. I couldn't have done it. I did it on my own, like, I had a little I help think, here and there.
3: I never feel like the minimum wage was ever for people to make it in life. It was but supposed they, to be like your your starter job or yeah. a part-time job. But you
2: can't, but Jason, they can't make, they can't get started on it. You, no, my no, daughter no, I'm, can't I'm, pay no, rent. I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm yeah. just saying
3: that when we say people can't make it on that living, it's not, de- it's not designed for people to uh, live it, their lives on it. Unfortunately, we have a lot of people who are doing that today, and they have to have a couple of these low-paying jobs just to make ends meet. Yeah. So uh, our, our... And working 60 to 80 hours absolutely. to try to do our, it. Our environment has changed. Our society has changed in a way that we don't have as at least so it seems even though I guess I did a story today on uh, there, we have more jobs than people but yeah. we don't have necessarily people qualified for the jobs that are available. Suffice and it to say,
2: wages have not been indexed either. That is correct. Let's talk to Marcy about what you're hearing from people when right. they come in. To right. Say that
1: I have kind of been it. doing signature events and training people all across the Wasatch Front, actually and beyond, Now, for ever since Christmas Day, actually. And I've been collecting what all these hundreds of people have been telling me, what is it that they're frustrated about with this tax law? And I would say, by and large, the number one thing has been the food tax. Whether they are worried about paying for themselves, there's a visceral reaction to having a tax on food, the very basic of our, all, all the necessities and the, the destructive component of that, that it would be for those that are less fortunate in our, amongst us. That's number one, I would say. Number two has been the fuel tax. People are frustrated that they live outside in rural communities, may have to drive 30 minutes a day, an hour a day to get to work. They know exactly how much it costs them to get there back. (laughs) Yes, they do. They're aware of what that fuel tax will do to them. In addition, they feel frustrated that we voted against that last November, and then it was slid into this tax law in December. Number three was the introduction of a new type of tax, which is the service tax. We are aware, and I think the the public is aware, that now that it has been introduced, that they will be sliding in service taxes left and right all over the place without our ability to even watch or witness how that's going to affect our society. Utah was ba- was founded on, and um, by and large still exists today in a very entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial spirit. A lot of small um, businesses are here that will be tremendously affected once they become tax collectors themselves and having to collect the tax, having to pay an accountant or CPA to make sure it's all processed correctly and sent on to the state government. So a lot of people are really frustrated and upset about that, the introduction of a new tax on services. Number four, I would say, is the education issue, which the education concern, which we've already discussed. And number five would be um, the manner in which this occurred. So many people went to those uh, town meetings regarding the the, the new tax law. Mm -hmm. They felt frustrated that their voices were not heard at the time. And they felt like um, it was, I'm not not sure, but there was something about um, it being taken care of in a special legislative session right before Christmas, which would make it very difficult for a referendum to be accomplished during the holiday season um, as part of the weeks. And I would say the last one is the enormity of this law and the very vague wording of many of the introduction of the points that have been added. Um, int, for instance, the potential introduction of toll roads down the road. What does that mean? That means they, they give themselves just, an option. Right. So they can just well, say, oh, well, that's part of the law, so let's just do that. Well, and so there's a lot of vague, especially even in, in the service tax component. It's quite vague in the wording. What does this exactly mean? And I think the voice that people want to have heard up on on the hill and with our legislatures is, we would like to give you more time to do a better job of it. If you need money, we just want to give you more time. This was put into effect in our opinion too fast, too big, too many twists and turns in the law, and we want to give you more time to do it again, to do something different.
3: I got, uh, and I'm going to again. I got one minute. So I don't want to put anybody in a position where they have to but, try to do one answer uh, in I mean. Can I use that minute? Because there's things they have to go create. right ahead. The
4: service tax is not new. We've been taxing dry cleaning services in the state for I think two decades. There's seven services that have been taxed for at least a decade. So to say that that's introducing a brand new tax, that that is. Just that's just not the case. And uh, I can't remember the second point, but, uh, the, the, we, you know, and, and Lagoon. Lagoon is an entertainment service. That's been taxed for decades as well. So there's seven categories of services that we've been taxing in Utah for a long, long time.
2: So I would – was there any process about which services? Because I know legal services were on the table and then they were off the table. Like or how right. that was so, – Legal
4: services were on the table, and the reason uh, the reason that they got pulled off the table is we were trying to tax outputs and not inputs. So if you are starting a business and you hire an attorney to to, to create your business and then you sell your product, um, so, so we want to, like we don't want to tax the steering wheel and the gas pedal. We just want to tax the car when it's sold. I did remember the other point, and that is. Uh, collecting sales tax is free software that a small business can obtain. Avon ladies have been collecting sales tax for 50 years. It's not that complicated.
3: Okay. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to finish. We had one more segment to come. Uh, I, I, I hate that we only have so much time because I know that this is a, a big thing to wrap our heads around. But I want to say thank you to Todd for being the per- willing to have to uh, go through all this rigmarole by himself because I know that, that can't be easy either. Uh, but when we come back, we'll finish our discussion. You're listening to Voices of Reason. with Voices of Reason. I'm Jason Lee, along with Amy Donaldson, and we have Paul Murphy and uh, Marcy Campbell. They are in studio uh, talking to us about a grassroots effort to uh, put together a referendum to uh, vote on a tax measure that was passed by our state legislature and so... uh, in support of that uh, measure, that tax bill, is State Senator Todd Weiler, a Republican of Woods Cross here in Utah, and he is on our uh, phone line uh, kind of giving us the legislative side of why the, uh, his uh, fellow lawmakers decided to act in the manner they did and what they hope to accomplish by uh, you know, enacting the uh, the tax law that they have uh, they have uh, already uh, put together. So, with regard to, uh, I wanted to allow Paul to uh, kind of make a couple of statements regarding how the, this particular law might impact those who uh, are the poorest of our community.
0: It, it impacts them greatly. And, uh, I mean, when we talk about the food tax, I mean, that is where the, kind of the rubber hits the road. They they cannot afford food to begin with. They're going to be limited on what they can buy because this tax is suddenly there. We are going backwards. We shouldn't have any sort of a tax on the food. The idea that we're going to give a rebate to uh, the poor uh, because of the food tax is a misnomer because, one, The poor, for the most part, don't file uh, for a tax return. Two, if they do file one, it's going to be an easy tax form that doesn't have a place for them to file for that exemption. And three, most of them still won't qualify. The average family in Utah makes about $70,000 total. This uh, tax rebate goes to those who make up to about $45,000. And so in every way, shape, and form, this tax rebate will not help the poor and the poor are going to be hurt, and they're they're losing money that they should have in the first place.
1: Right. I would just add to that that most of the time people who are struggling financially are living day to day. They are in survival mode. They are very afraid of how this is going to affect their every single day. They're not someone that's anticipating in a year I might get a rebate, et cetera. They're trying to figure out how do I
2: survive today. And, and so, Todd, you, you talk to us about the prebate
4: yeah, so first of all, let, let's let's use some numbers. The federal government says that nine percent of our population i mean twelve percent of our population is poor by their st- definition. Nine percent of the population already receives food stamps, and they pay no sales tax when they use their food stamps for food. Um, second of all, uh, you know, Paul's right. Not everybody files taxes, but um, we—the state already pays. I'm on the United Way of Salt Lake's board of directors. The state already pays organizations like the United Way to help people file their tax returns. This bill includes another half million dollars in funding to help people file their tax returns. And as most of you are aware, there's a federal program called the EITC or Earned Income Tax Credit. Uh, a poor family, a working poor family, can get up to $2,500. And EITC funds, which most people have discovered by now because it's been around for decades. And we are now including a state EITC portion that would match about 10% of that. And the grocery tax credit, you don't have to file, you know, that those checks are mailed out automatically. In fact, they're mailed out before this uh, increase would go into effect on April 1st. And the EITC, you would have to file for but believe me, uh, most people know if they qualify for the EITC. I qualified for it one year when I was in law school because I didn't have – I was working, but I wasn't very making very much, and I had children. So, uh, we, like I said, the Senate president and others, they went around to all of the organizations in Utah that, that assist the poor, and they asked for ideas if we were going to restore the sales tax, how we, make, how we try to hold those people harmless.
3: Marcy?
1: Senator Wheeler, I really appreciate that you went at a – you know, trying to get feedback from people, et cetera. But what I would say is it seems – Odd to me that a GOP legislature would be promoting or advocating for bigger government programs that our taxes pay for to help people file these particular forms that have to be done so that they can get a rebate or a prebate when really all they want to do is to be able to buy food. Yeah, that seems so. so let me let me contradictory. Jump, yeah,
2: let me jump in. A, I think the federal government's definition of poverty is ridiculous. Yeah. No human being I know could live in a structure <laughs> um, that, that doesn't have help from outside. That I think it's, isn't it like 17500 or something? It's, it's below it's, $20,000. It's, right,
3: it's, it's, it's below it's minimum below wage tw- wages.
2: It's below $20,000, and I know people who are that poor in my hometown of Alaska, and you cannot live in any way, shape, or form. So their definition of poverty and mine are not the same. As a person who has been in poverty... <laughs> um, uh, one of the things that bothers me about the prebate and and sort of just guessing what people spend on groceries is that what you're estimating on is what I am. If I'm currently in poverty, I'm buying what I can buy, not what I want to buy, not what I need to buy. And you are locking me into that by saying, this is what you spend and this is what you will always spend. And so we will give you a prebate that will cover that or, or mitigate that cost. And I might not be buying any vegetables. I might not be buying very many fruits because... I have been I've been in that situation where I am I can have one apple, not three apples, which is what I need or I want. And so that's my my problem with the estimates and my problem with using poverty um, definitions from the government is that they that they are made by people who do not live in that situation. And 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 using that as a basis for to find a solution, you find a solution that locks me into that. I'm I'm never, ever going to have the option of buying the apples that I want for my kids. I'm going to be buying potatoes because they're cheaper and they're much more filling, and and I can make about a thousand things with potatoes because I did it. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's my the problem issue with, with that it.
3: is they they're starch and they become sugar and then you become diabetic is a whole other. But
2: reason. see that's a, and that's that's a totally different yes, discussion, right? But but I but that's, but that's, I, that's, but that's my food. that's my issue with the estimates of this is what people spend on groceries because I can tell you what I spent on groceries when I was a single mom and 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 keeping track of every single penny. And if you had locked me into that and said, "This is we're going to give you a prebate or whatever," I mean, literally, I would have taken one hundred twenty-five dollars. I needed it, but I also would have never been able to. It wouldn't have helped me expand my and buy better food eventually throughout the entire year. Yeah, and so that's my fear is that. We don't we're I think we need to really get real with ourselves about what is poverty. I think there are a lot I, I am sure there are a lot of misconceptions I have about the legislative process and especially the legislative process on this bill. But I also think that the legislature has some misconceptions about people who live in poverty and whether or not they want to get out or how they can get out. I know people who are living in poverty right now who don't even have a bank account. They pay a portion of their wages to get that check cashed at a place like Harman's. Correct. Um, and I think or those... at
3: those uh, check cashing places. Mm-hmm. Well, mm-hmm. most yes. of them try
2: not to use those. Right, because those you are know? expensive. But, but, I think right. th- but I think those are concerns. Like wh- when you get the prebate, like, then you have to give a portion of it back. <laughs> if you're talking about slicing up dollars and quarters it matters it matters i've done it and it's really it's just so stressful and i can't imagine trying to figure out thank goodness for walmart
4: because you can cash any check there (laughs) (laughs)
3: <laughs> okay, so uh, I, listen, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna do some extra bonus content, but right now I do have to end the show as it is because this part is going to go on the radio on Sunday. So I want to say uh, join us again for the next episode of the Vo- uh, Loudmouth Project's Voices of Reason. If you have any comments about our show, please contact us via email at vormed.com or at vorjasonl at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at adonsports and at Jason Lee one Our show's Twitter handle is at podcast. You can also check out uh, Facebook, and you can uh, subscribe to our free uh, episodes of our podcast. on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, or any place where you might find interesting content. Be sure to review our show as well. We love to get your feedback, and it helps us grow our audience. Until next time, I'm Jason Lee. When you engage in passionate debate, do your best to keep your dialogue civil. Try to be the voice of reason.
0: Voices of Reason is a production of the Loudmouth Project.